Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. I know everyone talks a lot about date nights and all of that and the importance of, you know, unplugging and just really focusing on each other. Well, you can imagine, Karen, how hard that is to do when you're living particularly in a step family or blended family, when you have kids of different ages, they're friends, people are working a lot. So what we recommend um, as therapists in the field of remarriage, and I talk a lot about in my book, is rituals of communication. What does that mean? That basically means making intentional time together to do activities that are not stressful. Welcome to Healthy Romantic Relationships, where we invite you to consider exactly what you need to know about yourself and your new partner. Learn about the foundational pillars and dynamics of healthy relationships and how to give and get the love you want. We speak with experts about communication, personality and attachment styles, sensuality and sexuality, and when to consider remarriage and perhaps a blended family. If you're yearning for a healthy, vibrant, romantic relationship post-divorce, we're here to support you. Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Romantic Relationships. Today, we're speaking to Terry Gaspard. She's the author of The Remarriage Manual, How to Make Everything Work Better the second time around. We discuss expectations, trust, communication, and the vital importance of making your spouse a priority, especially when there are stepchildren involved. You'll understand why in a few minutes. But before I get to that, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. Terry Gaspard is a licensed therapist, coach, author, and college instructor who specializes in relationships, marriage, remarriage, stepfamilies, and children of divorce. She's the owner of movingpastdivorce.com, which has great blogs that you should go and read, a contributor to eight websites, including the Gottman Institute, divorcemoms.com, and marriage.com. And you can learn more about Terry and how to reach out to her in our show notes. Uh, Terry, I'm very excited about today's conversation. Welcome. Thank you, Karen. It's a pleasure to be here. 
You know, we talked offline and I'm just going to start by saying to you and to our audience that your book is fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. It is so incredibly chuck full of what seemed to me, I'm not remarried with a step family, but seemed like you covered virtually everything um, that needs to be covered. So can we just start with you sharing with our listeners what um what inspired you to create such a beautiful manual? Thank you, Karen. I appreciate the compliments. And my journey started a long time ago because I grew up in a in a blended family. And, you know, I didn't plan on getting a divorce myself, but I did in the mid-90s. And I wasn't planning on getting remarried right away. Um, I dated and, you know, had different relationships. I'm on the rebound. But when I met my current husband, Craig, um, you know, about 27 years ago, I thought, you know, this relationship really has a future because we had known each other as friends. We met through a mutual friend. So I started trying to do some research to figure out what were some of the tools that we needed to have a successful remarriage. Right. Um, my dad and my stepmother had a successful remarriage, but my mother was divorced a second time. So I wanted to avoid that. And I found out the divorce rate for second marriages is quite a bit higher than first marriages. It's in the mid 60s, 65 percent of second marriages fail. So I started interviewing couples because a lot of the research and books I was finding were outdated. And they focused a lot on the children, which is important. I I'm a child of divorce myself and raised in a step family. But they didn't focus on the couple and what was needed to keep that relationship strong. And I knew that I needed some tools for myself because I, through therapy, realized, you know, my part in my divorce. I examined my own issues and I knew that I um, had been raised in a divorced family and needed some strategies. So through interviews of 100 couples, I came up with some words of wisdom, and it led me to do more research, to look at the Gottman Institute and all of their fantastic research on marriage and so on. And I thought, you know what? No book has been written about remarriage, focusing more on the couple and making the marriage a remarriage a priority. So I was very fortunate um, to um, have an agent who approach sounds true. And they said, we, we've never heard of a book like this. And then I was excited to add the stories uh, with the names changed, of course, of the couples that I interviewed to each of the chapters, which out, outlines the different pathways to success. So I know it helped me a lot with my marriage. I'm happily remarried and I've been so for 25 years. So I'm very excited about that. You know, so it's the the timing of our conversation is perfect. We've been talking to our listeners about dating and then healthy relationships and all the things it takes to to um, to find and foster and um, and work on yourself in a healthy relationship. And yet, once you make that commitment to marriage, or in our audience case, remarriage. It's actually, it's different. It's different in a lot of ways. And so um, what, what, um, 
When you're making that decision to remarry, one of the things that you said the other day was you have to make your spouse a priority. And we were talking about the complexity of like you're coming with your kids and he or she is coming with their kids. And then maybe you're having kids together. And like you said, most of the resources were about, okay, the step family as opposed to the remarried couple. What what is that foundation of the importance of making your spouse a priority amidst all these other really important individuals? Well, you have to uh, approach your relationship, in my opinion, in a very intentional way. And you have to come up with ways of having loving dialogues with one another that are non-blameful and definitely assume the best of your partner. And having realistic expectations is so key because so many people fall in love and they're caught up in the bliss of romance and limerence and all those hormones. And they think, well, this relationship is going to be the best relationship I've ever had. And it's going to be so much better than my prior marriage and relationships. So you're setting yourself up for failure if you think that way, because although Hopefully you will have a lot in common with your partner before you enter a remarriage and have taken some time to get to know each other. Most second marriages um, are defined by people that are a little older, somewhat older. I was in my, as I mentioned, in my early 40s. You know, I had been married and divorced and lived alone for a few years. And you have children in the mix. You have exes, ex-spouses who complicate things. That was true for me. And you also have in-laws that you didn't know when you were younger. So you have to create this whole new family. And the priority really is about we're in this together, that we're going to take intentional time to really spend together. And I know everyone talks a lot about date nights and all of that and the importance of you know, unplugging and just really focusing on each other. Well, you can imagine, Karen, how hard that is to do when you're living particularly in a step family or blended family, when you have kids of different ages, they're friends, people are working a lot. So what we recommend um, as therapists in the field of remarriage, and I talk a lot about in my book, is rituals of communication. What does that mean? That that basically means making intentional time together to do activities that are not stressful. I'm not talking about therapy time. I think a lot of remarried couples can definitely benefit from counseling just to kind of work on expectations and communication skills. But taking time, like for instance, one couple I work with, I work with a lot of remarried couples They have coffee together in the morning. It sounds simple, but it's so effective. So instead of heading out to the day right away and launching into their variety of activities, they connect with each other over a cup of coffee for at least 15, 20 minutes. Talk about, you know, what's up? What's the plan for today? What are they going to have for dinner? Who's going to cook? You know, you basically connect with each other about different themes. In addition to that, that's a small ritual. That's kind of a, you know, a mini ritual. Having rituals of connection, like doing something together at least two hours a week where you can enjoy an activity 
such as riding a bike together, going to the gym together, going out in nature. You know, a lot of people like nature walks, going to the beach. So you have these rituals of connection. And if you have children, you want to include them once a week, obviously in a family meal where you check in with them. I call it a family meeting and find out how how everyone's doing. But you have to have that foundation with each other where you have that loving dialogue and you're not looking to place blame on the person. You're having what I call a conversation that begins with a soft startup, which is really about, hey, do you have some time? Let's let's talk. What's going on? Tell me the best part of your week. What are some struggles? And certainly expressing concerns is important, but don't forget to express appreciation. Dr. Gottman has found, and I've been doing some writing about this myself, that one of the main reasons why couples in a first or second or third marriage feel disconnected is they don't show appreciation for each other. So stop and think, even keep a little journal of appreciation. I've been doing that. What do I appreciate about my partner right now? You know, I came home, dinner was started. That felt really great. I didn't have to worry about that. Or I didn't have time to take my car to the shop to get an oil change. So he or she was able to drop it off, save me the trouble. You know, and not only do you express appreciation, Karen, you do it very specifically. I really appreciated when you dropped my car off. It was a big help. Thank you so much. It meant a lot to me. And if you have those kinds of conversations with one another, it can diffuse a lot of the tension. So you have these soft startups where you appreciate and you also don't start with, you know, you don't really do enough around the house. And I'm really tired of the fact that you tracked mud into the family room. Instead of that kind of you message, you start with an I message, which is, you know, I really feel it's important to keep the family room clean. And, you know, I understand, you know, you're in a rush, but do you think we could work on a way that we could, you know, keep it cleaner? So, you know, when people come in the house, there's, you know, like more of a feeling of, you know, the whole, our house is, you know, more welcoming. Say it in that tone, as opposed to you are always tracking dirt into the house or mud into the house. So how you start conversations with a soft startup is really key. And yeah, having- you know, I mean, it's it's it makes so much sense. What I hear you saying is um, make sure your partner feels seen and heard and acknowledged. And and mm-hmm. when and when there is a bump, when there is a wrinkle. Um, raise your concern from your experience from the eye. I've right. noticed, um, I would love if, and, and, you know, we always talk to our clients about that sandwich approach where when you have something difficult to say and you start with, you know, I love that you get up and get the kids ready and mm-hmm. it just helps me so much. And, and we have such a great routine going. I'd really love to talk about this one situation where I feel whatever. Mm-hmm. And then 
uh, we solve problems so well, I know that we'll figure out this one too. And so here you've created this beautiful container where someone can Mm -hmm. hear your concern and still feel heard and seen. Right. That sandwich approach is, is so perfect because you're starting with something positive and you're acknowledging the contributions that your partner makes instead of starting with something negative, like you don't do this or I, you know, really discouraged or fed up. And then in addition to what you just said, I even like to add in, it's really important for me that our living room or family room is clean because, you know, I work hard at, you know, tidying up myself and my standards may be a little bit high at times. But when you show me that you are willing to work on this, it makes me happy. It makes me feel that you're listening and you're supporting me. And you know so well from your coaching how many disagreements and problems start with small things that people get irritated about and annoyed about. And they create they they become bigger and they become power struggles. Right. And part of it um, is that we don't own our own issues. Right. You know, we we we're too, too easily focused on what the other person needs to do to make us feel happy. And, you know, I believe so much. And I wrote a blog for Gottman about that and changing our own mm-hmm. mindset on how we look at things and working on ourselves. Right. Not that we're going to accept any kind of abuse or any kind of emotional detachment or, you know, abandonment, but, you know, work on ourselves and our own attitude. Absolutely. And you know, what's, what's interesting is the, your first recommendation of spending that quality time together, uh, even in, in that first marriage, right? You start having babies and everyone's busy and who's working, who's raising the kids, who's trying to run from here to there. There's this taking for granted of the other person. It's like, you should just be doing your work list while I do my work list. And, and you saying, well, slow it down, be intentional, be connecting over coffee, over over a date night, over cooking dinner together, and, and constantly acknowledging the other person is is such a great remedy to you you can't be constantly acknowledging your partner and taking them for granted at the same time i don't think no i don't believe those two are compatible yeah and and that taking for granted is 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 that you know that that bitter root that grows right mm-hmm. so okay so i'm hearing you say you know quality time with your spouse is really important and you know for those who are listening and going all right you know i got two kids in middle school and high school and they're a handful and i'm interested in this fellow who you know all how how do i have the time to do this like when when you started looking and creating your manual um how do you address that 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 time crunch that comes with step families? Well, it can't be done without some cre- creativity, and you have to have a conversation about it. You know, so basically, what you need to do is first both agree, hopefully, that it is important. And one of the things I work with couples on is, okay, how are you going to take this time? You know, sometimes it really literally does have to be early in the morning or later at night when the kids are settled in, if you have especially younger children. But if you have school age or older children, 
you don't have to be always focused on them. Obviously, you want to pay attention to them, but they can be doing their having their time together and you can be having your time with your partner. And certainly there's hopefully going to be time for all of you to spend together, too. So making a plan and both, you know, kind of adding in to what you think is a good way to do this creatively. Some of it could be done when your kids are with their other parent, you know, instead of working long hours, which I have a tendency to do, to be honest. And I did that for many years without even realizing I was on the computer. I was writing articles and books for years. I could have been spending some of that time with my husband, but I didn't realize the importance of it. I was kind of like driven to accomplish all my own goals. And we do get caught up in that. We get caught yes. up in working. So, you know, financial issues are very um, tricky when you're bringing two distinct worlds together and trying to support each other. Well, actually, so that was the next thing I thought would be really helpful to talk about is um, when you bring two families together, like, and and the two key issues in divorce, right, are kids and money. So, yep. so you may be paying, someone may be paying maintenance, someone may be paying child support, someone may be getting child support. So there's this this intermingling of finances with parties outside of your new immediate family. Uh Um, I would imagine that's a hot button. I would love to talk about that. And then the other one I want to talk about afterwards is different views on child rearing and discipline and all of that. So let's talk finances first. Like what does a couple do when there are all of those additional complexities? What's the recommendation in your book to make sure that you're pouring a solid foundation and not getting caught in what could be very triggering? Thank you so much for that question. Um, I enjoy talking about this because I did this all wrong also. Yeah. <laughs> I learned from my own mistakes. It's a good way to learn. So, what did so you I learn? Did, what did you learn, Terry? <laughs> I'm a slow learner at times. Sometimes it takes me years. But then I finally found research about this topic. And although it's somewhat outdated, I believe that it holds true that there are different systems. And the research tends to show that the one pot system where you blend your finances and have weekly discussions about finances is going to lead to the best outcomes for harmony and communication. The second system, the two-pot system, where you have your money blended for the most part, but you have a separate savings account for things like child support or maybe other things that you don't wanna blend, is the second most effective. But when you have a three-pot system where everybody has separate accounts, where both people, both partners have separate accounts, separate checking accounts, and separate you know, savings or whatever, is the least effective in terms of building communication about money. And I was I was interested in that. So I tested it out on a number of my clients and people I interviewed very much substantiated that, although common wisdom tends to be, well, money, talking about money is stressful. So I'm just going to keep my money separate and I'm going to pay my own bills. You're going to pay your own bills. That actually leads to some financial 
infidelity where people keep secrets. And I talk in my book about how I had my credit card bills in my own checking account in the beginning of my second marriage and didn't want to tell my husband about it. And he found out about it by walking through, you know, the office and seeing them just glance down and saw, oh my God, you know, you've got these because I like Macy's and all these nice stores. <laughs> I didn't know you had these credit card bills. But by blending our finances, where he and he was actually pretty smart about that. He said, I, I think you told me you didn't blend finances with your ex, right? And I said, no, I didn't. I like to keep my own money. And he said, let's let's try this. Let's try to have separate savings for child support and other things. Maybe a little vacation fund or whatever for you and your sisters or friends. But let's blend everything into the same checking account. And we'll really force ourselves to talk about money. And when we talk about money, let's not forget that, in my opinion, most people that have been divorced have trust issues. So that's another topic I'd like to get to if we have time. I didn't believe when I got remarried that my husband, Craig, had my best interest at heart. I was somewhat, I was very much in love and I was very impressed by, you know, his personality, his interests, his values, and the fact that he wanted to be a stepfather because I had two children. But because I had trust issues prior, I was suspicious. And I thought if I tell him all about my credit card bills and how I want to spend my money, I don't think he's going to be accepting of that. I don't think he's going to, you know, go along with it or, you know, accept me for who I am with my past. So some trust issues that people have cause them to keep money separate, not tell each other or to keep secrets about money. And people ask me a lot, well, isn't keeping a secret about money different than infidelity? Is that, is keeping secrets about money like having hidden assets or hidden credit card debt? Doesn't, isn't that like different than lying? And what I've come around to, Karen, is actually no. No. It's the same as lying. Yeah. Yeah. A, 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 a lie of omission. Right. So it's it's the, the bottom line is we have a foundation of trust. And I was as you were speaking, I, I went through Dave Ramsey's Financial Institute and he says it really clearly. He's like, you show show me a couple and how they talk about money and I'll tell you how well their marriage is going. Good and, point. Yeah. Yeah, because not only, you know, we're we're all raised with different financial paradigms and and money, money makes the world go round. So there's control issues around money. And, um, you know, and, and I'm curious, it sounds like you guys had this conversation after you married. Yes. Do, do you recommend having it before the marriage? Definitely. And that one of the reasons why I think my book is important is you could read my book before you get remarried and find out what those key issues are, because there's a chapter on money. There's a chapter on trust. There's a chapter on ditching your baggage. Like I said, I looked for a guidebook. I didn't find right, right. it. Everything right. was focused on the step family, which I do have a chapter on that. You know. So we we could call it learn from Terry's mistakes if we <laughs> wanted. To. 
<laughs> the remarriage <laughs> manual. I love that. And for all of you who are who are in new healthy romantic relationships and thinking this might be the one, um, grab grab the book. Grab the book. Read the book. The remarriage manual and have those conversations now um, before so that you can figure out where the wrinkles are and where it's going to be nice and smooth. So I love that. Um, there's so many things I'm writing down as you're speaking. So uh, old triggers. I think that that part of this conversation about finance and your your honest example of your own, you know, trust issues from your previous marriage. So, you know, as, as divorce coaches, we're always working with our clients to uh, to see their part in it, to heal their wounds, to refine their own shortcomings. And yet, uh, I just recently uh, interviewed Harville uh, Hendricks and, and Helen Hunt, and they talked about how each time you get into that intimate relationship, your wounds are going to come to the surface. And so, you know, I think it's really important for us to know that that we're never done. And the remarriage is going to be hopefully blissful and awesome in a thousand ways. And it's also going to bring to the surface whatever hasn't been healed and refined yet. And can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, thank you. Excellent question. And I love the Hendricks. I have their books very close <laughs> on my bookshelf. I read them often. We have a special gift for you. Whether you're still emotionally entangled with your ex or not, imagining and creating your life after divorce can feel surreal for some, terrifying for others. Fears and limiting beliefs around financial security, building new friendships, health and fitness, and even finding healthy love can interfere with your ability to create the life you desire. Journey Beyond Divorce coaches can help you get clear on what you want and the obstacles that are keeping you stuck and guide you in manifesting your ideal life. We're here to help you enter this new chapter with more confidence and enthusiasm with a free jumpstart call. Visit journeybeyonddivorce.com backslash jumpstart to book your call today. definitely believe that we have to acknowledge that we have those wounds, those, I call them emotional vulnerabilities. And if we don't, we're going to be so blindsided. It's so easy to be in denial and think, well, I've worked through a lot of that stuff. You know, I mean, I know myself pretty well. You know, in my case, I'm a therapist. I've been through therapy, but the triggers are just flying at you so much after you get remarried because, you know, we all have needs, as you said earlier, Karen, for control. You know, I was raised by a single parent who had a lot of control issues. She was a strong woman, but boy, you know, you had, you know, you had to be ready for, you know, how she wanted things being done. And I, so I have my own control issues. We all have needs for acceptance 
I mentioned that earlier. I want to be accepted for the fact that I have these debts. We all have needs for love and belongingness and affection to different degrees. And the list goes on and on. Um, and sometimes if we look too much to our partner to meet those needs and we're not getting those needs met by self-soothing and taking care of ourselves, we can feel abandoned. We can feel alone. And when you think about the issues that people bring into a second marriage, such as fear of abandonment, fear of abandonment is a big issue because often people were betrayed by their former partner, either through infidelity or just emotional neglect or abandonment. And so they want a, a different kind of dynamic. And when things fall short, let's say you marry someone who travels a lot. In my case, my husband likes to go up north to Maine. We live in Rhode Island. And he visits, he used to visit family members up there. Sometimes I couldn't go and I'd, I'd stay home with the kids. That triggered abandonment issues. I felt like he was picking his family on a holiday weekend over me and my family. The triggers are coming at you. They're flying at you. So being aware of your own issues and finally being able to say on my part, when you leave like that for a long weekend, even though I know you're spending time with your family, it makes me feel left out. And I would really love it if we could plan some family time up there and take another vacation with just me and my kids. That would make me feel included. Um, and could you give me a hug? Could you hold me? Could you reassure me that you're not doing this on purpose? Because I, I think a lot of what people do is not necessarily within their awareness. So I don't think he was taking these trips up north purposefully. But once he heard my point, part of it, he was able to modify. And you ask for what you need. And I think that oftentimes we feel like you're my husband. You should be able to read my mind. Exactly. And, mind. and now I'm going to be angry and bitter because you don't, you're not meeting my needs. And, and I shouldn't have to tell you what they are. You should just know them. And it's like, right. and so, so these are all the kinds of things that people get, get caught up in. And so if you're listening and you're really excited about your new relationship and you're even thinking about tying the knot, like going into it really being honest about what your what, what your challenges were, how far you think you've come, right? So you've, we've all grown. Hopefully, almost everybody certainly listening here is growing through their divorce and not just going through their divorce. Mm -hmm. And yet, um, I had a client say, well, for God's sake, when are we finally done? And I said, when we're six feet under, that's when we're done. <laughs> we're, we're done when we stop breathing. Until then, there's something to learn. There's a place to grow. There's an awareness to develop. There's a skill to hone. Like that's, that's, that's the purpose of us being here is to just keep yeah. being the best version of ourselves we can yes. be. So, so we talked about finances, we talked about triggers, you know, the whole concept that, um, so th this is a big one and you can pick probably a lot of different ways that this comes up. So I'm raised in my family of origin with our religious and cultural and financial background. And, and, and then I go into my marriage and I have his and I have mine and, and then that breaks up and, and now I'm with another guy. And, and so there's my family of origin. There's my first marriage. Now I'm in my second. There's a boatload of stuff being Complex, brought to the yes. table. Uh -huh. 
Mm-hmm. And people underestimate that. We tend to, as humans, like I said, because we're caught up in the bliss of new love, to think this is just going to all work out because, you know, we're attracted to each other. We're somewhat compatible. I've taken some time to examine myself. But then you realize, oh, my God, this is really complex. Not only taking that intentional time together and coming up with a plan for that, you know, but also really listening to your partner turning towards them when they are around rather than being distracted by a lot of other stimuli and really trying to understand things from their point of view is so important and being able to express your own needs and being willing to admit this this is hard sometimes things are not necessarily going to run on automatic they didn't in my family of origin why did i think for some reason that they would in this newly created family You know, for instance, my husband thought being a step parent was going to be so great because he didn't have kids. We ended up having a child together, our mutual child, Catherine. But prior to that, he thought, well, being a step parent, I'm going to have like a stepson to go fishing with. You know, this was what he expected. He found out that my son didn't like fishing. My son liked, you know, to watch a lot of sports on TV and spend time with his friend. So one of the things I talk about in chapter nine is there's no such thing as instant love between a step parent and a child. And you have to be prepared for that. And if you do what I did, you're going down the wrong path because I basically had a separate thing going on with my kids a lot of the time where we would spend so much time together because I didn't want there to be conflict between them and their stepdad. Then I realized we're not we're not really blending. We're not really, you know, all trying to work on this together. So that's what really helped is when we realized that. You know, Terry, as you're talking, what it makes me realize is when we talk about like even making the decision to divorce, it's like you're dealing with your emotions, your soon-to-be ex's emotions, your kids' emotions, your in-laws' emotions. What you just described is the exact same thing. So now you're in a blended family. Well, you may love him. You may think he's the cat's meow, but your kids may not feel the same way. Or your daughter may, but your son may not, or vice versa. And so you said something about like doing this consciously. I think that in general, um, doing life consciously is always going to work out better. And so you talked about keeping an eye on your expectations, making your spouse a priority, communicating, communicating. Did we say communicating? Um, (laughs) uh, You're talking about combining finances is the better way to go. So that's something to communicate around, not expecting that your kids are going to love the guy or the gal that you love. And, And yet the last thing I heard you say is, uh, engage in the discomfort of everyone being together during the early blending. So you actually blend. Yes. Cause that didn't happen with us. And I realized we were so disconnected, you know, I was so fearful because of my own parents' divorce and my own divorce, you know, and many people have fear of commitment. I do. I definitely have that. And my own, as part of my baggage. And I didn't really trust, as I said, that my husband could really get along and blend with my kids. And truthfully, the way that happens over the years, and it does take time, I want to emphasize that. People say, oh, it takes time to blend. Well, that's an understatement. 
what does it take? It takes day in and day out with caring, with going to dance recitals or football games or school events and keeping a low profile. And as a step parent, not expecting that your stepchild is going to take to you and be happy that you went to their school. It could be just the opposite. They could act like they don't even know you and who's that person. I don't know him or her. And I work with a, a blended family now and the, the mom, you know, who's the stepmom who's been, you know, engaged in this family with her husband's kids and one child of her own said, what do I do if my stepkids never really like me? What do I do if they don't want to spend time with me? Cause it's a new marriage. You might need to accept that, you know, that you're a rival to them. You're definitely a rival and they're going to compare you to their biological parent. And sometimes you're going to come out looking okay. And sometimes you're not. And so over time, what you can hope for is to be a friend and to be a mentor. And sometimes your own needs, you know, for the kind of life you want have to be put aside when your kids are young anyway. You know that being a parent. And that's very true for a step family or blended family. Yeah, I can hear that. And then, you know, I mean, if you think about it, the poor kids, right? So just going through middle school and high school and all of the internal hormones and the peer pressure and all the stress about college and, you know, and then our society and what's going on. It's like, so So you take a kid who's just in a normal, healthy um, family, no divorce or anything, and they've already got a boatload of struggles, especially in yes. today's day and age, you had going through a divorce and then mom or dad falling in love or maybe mom and dad both falling in love with other people. And, mm -hmm. and so um, what I'm what I think I'm hearing is that as a step parent, uh, we need to engage in an incredible amount of grace and mercy for the children who are they don't necessarily have a say. And now they're in a blended family. And that that's that's, you know, the, I love the four agreements and the first one being don't take it personally, I would imagine should be on like neon light in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. I, I say that probably, you know, half a dozen times throughout my book or more, you know, and I told that to Craig to my husband because my daughter, his stepdaughter was not fond of him for many years and he used to take it personally, you know, and I said, just be there, you know, show some interest in her. But, you know, hopefully over time, things will change. And then she wrote a blog about being a stepchild, which she posted on my website. And it was all about, I didn't choose this. I didn't want my parents to get a divorce. And then I ended up, in her case, she had two, she has two step parents. Her dad remarried and so did I. And now I have these step parents that I have to get used to and get along with right in the midst of, you know, entering adolescence and how it played itself out for her is she stopped wanting to invite kids over to the house because she felt embarrassed by her stepdad. You know, who is this person? He doesn't look like my, my biological father. He doesn't act like him. He has unusual habits, you know, like fishing and gardening or whatever. <laughs> for her, that was unusual. So, you know, over time, things really worked out well when we started having some vacations with the kids that were 
compromise, like things that they, we would go to places that they also would enjoy, like, you know, Lake George, where they could go, you know, they could go fishing, my, they could go swimming, rather, and my husband could go fishing in the same lake, you know, <laughs> you know, sort of like, you know, come up with these family rituals of places that you can go together, even if it's an arcade or a movie or something like that. But it definitely takes a lot of time. And it's complex blending process because you're coming from, as you said, two distinct worlds. And keeping in mind, you're not in your 20s or in most cases in your early 30s, which the first time we get married, we tend to be more in that, you know, age range. So, you know, you have your habits, you have your idiosyncrasies, you have things that are already built up and your kids are used to having quality time with you. And then you get remarried and now they have to share it with the other person. And sometimes they bring their own children and or you have children together. I've worked with blended families where there's literally six or more children when everyone's blended. And can you imagine what that would be like for a child? Yeah, that's a lot. So that's a lot. So there it really... I, I, I think the tagline here is it takes a lot of emotional intelligence to be in a blended family, doesn't it? Definitely. And, you know, along with that, be aware of your triggers, as you said. And usually if your reactions are intense emotionally, it's your own stuff. So if I sometimes would feel triggered by my in-laws or my husband's family, good people, but I didn't feel totally accepted by them for a number of years, I realized... It probably doesn't have as much to do with them. It's my own stuff, right, my right. own need for acceptance. Right. And through the years, we got used to each other. You know, right. they didn't have, for instance, any divorces in their family. Right. And then they met me and there. I remember my mother-in-law saying, God love her. She's deceased now. Terry, why did you get divorced? I don't understand that. <laughs> Are you going to get divorced from my son? She was very up front with a lot of her questions and that made me feel self-conscious but then I realized she was trying to get to know me right right. who is this person you know and she writes about divorce and she wrote a you know a book about divorce and you know because my first book was about daughters of divorce so it's a it's a very interesting process and the more you can sort of learn from it and take it slow with the dating process and going into a remarriage with hopefully your eyes wide open, the better prepared you are. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you've highlighted that really well. And as we begin to wrap up, is there anything that I did not ask about that we didn't touch on that you really feel you want our listeners to hear or, or any last tips? Well, I think that, A lot of people think about couples counseling when they're having problems and they're on the verge of divorce. Right. And one of the things that I've learned from Dr. John Gottman from writing for him and going to his trainings is often couples go too late. So one of the reasons why I believe the divorce rate is so much higher for second and third marriages is In some cases, we're afraid to admit we're having problems. Things aren't going so well. I need help. So going for counseling when things are starting to go off track 
and hopefully working on some of the issues that we've talked about today can really hopefully do a lot to prevent a second or third divorce. Because, you know, you know I mean, it's common for people to lose track of why they married the person to begin with. You forget all their wonderful qualities. And it seems to me that uh, uh, a vital part early on, even in your dating, is is this partner that you're falling in love with comfortable, open and willing to talk about the relationship, not the finances and the kids and the vacation Mm -hmm. and the jobs, the relationship. Mm -hmm. And because because I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, well, if if I'm in a relationship with someone where right from the beginning, we're always kind of touching base with each other about how we're doing our relationship, then being able to say, you know, we we keep hitting the same bump. Why don't we go and and address it before it becomes Mount Everest would make mm-hmm. sense. But if 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 we're not in the habit of talking about or if if the other person's always like doesn't have time or doesn't feel comfortable or isn't communicative in that way, then that bump can become a mountain real quickly. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And that's what happens a lot, you know, because people don't they have emotional vulnerabilities, as I said, and they're, you know, not comfortable exposing them. But um, there are really wonderful couples therapists. You can find out about them on Psychology Today. They have their own directory. Yes. Your insurance company. And it doesn't necessarily take, you know, a long period of time. I would say within three or four months, you could see some improvements. Just spending intentional time with um, a couple's counselor to work through some of the issues. And it's not a bad idea to go before you're considering getting remarried, just to kind of check in and see if you are on the same page, you know, yeah. because let's face it, you know, you, you have some of the baggage. You want to be honest about the fact that you probably have some trust issues, you know, and you want to iron things out like finances. You know, I, a lot of couples come to me. And they're remarried and they haven't ever come to an agreement about finances. And that is a real hiccup for them when it comes to taking vacations or buying a home. So many things come up that could be talked about. And even an agreement that, you know, that there's a certain amount of money either of us can spend without notifying the other person. But if it if it if it touches or exceeds X amount of dollars, it's a it's a conversation like there's so many rules and boundaries and guidelines that can just like when you drive down the highway, you know what the speed limit is, you know which lane you're in, you know which direction you're supposed to be going in without any of the that in place with your finances and with your child rearing, you can crash pretty easily. Right. And you brought up parenting styles. I come from a more permissive approach, not totally permissive, but child-centered, I guess I would say. And my husband came from a different, you know, mindset of more authoritarian. You know, you set some rules, you know, kids do the chores. You don't necessarily allow much questioning on that. So we clashed a lot on the parenting styles, too, because, you know, we got married. We were in our, you know, early to mid-40s. So those are things that definitely can be discussed. Right. With the counselor, because you want to you want to present a unite. The more you can, the more you can present a united front, 
to kids, the better. The better. Yeah. So I know, Terry, we could talk for another hour or two. There's so much in your book. Um, tell our audience how they can find your book, how they can reach you. And um, yeah, and that way we can we can get them uh, get them that information. Well, the book is available both on audio and it's on Kindle as well. Kindle, audio, and soft cover on Amazon, the remarriage manual, just type it in. Um, you can get used copies now or new. And then it's available on my website, the homepage of my website. It's right there, movingpastdivorce.com. You know, you can get the book on there. You can buy it directly from Sourcebooks from their website. So, you know, a lot of the local bookstores in my area cover it, but perhaps not in everyone's area. So those are the ways. But the audio book, I think, has been a big plus for people that like to listen to the book while they're driving or, you know, to have the audio. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your own journey and your challenges and this amazing book that you created for people. And for those of you, again, if if you're on this trajectory, I was so impressed with this book. There are rules, there are guides, there are exercises, there are tips, there are tools. It's like therapy and coaching in a book. It's super robust. It covers virtually every topic. Um, it's a no-brainer to have it on your bookshelf if that's the direction you're going in. So thank you so much for um, providing that to the world. It's really, it's fabulous. You're welcome. It was a pleasure to be on your show. And a pleasure to have you. And we will be back again uh, real soon with our next episode of Healthy Romantic Relationships. Until then, you take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon.